Good to see everybody today. We are taking, if you're just joining us, we're taking just a few weeks uh, to go through some old hymns, some songs that have been sung by the church to God for, in some cases, hundreds of years. Because sometimes you can revisit the old and it becomes new. That these old songs, even though the words might be familiar and maybe even rehearsed in some of our minds, can actually be like a fresh way to say thanks to God, even though they're old. Which is something I think we probably all have in common here today, is that we all have something that we can be thankful for to Him, even if we're not tuned into it at the moment. Every single one of us. If there is anything good in your life, it came from one place. And you have a reason to be thankful. But it's easy to put that aside because we're busy and we have a lot going on. We don't necessarily think about him. I'm thinking about this, whatever it is. Or maybe things, maybe things are on a little bit of a downturn. Downturn. It's not, you got some disappointments. Things haven't really gone your way. And so you're more tuned into what hasn't gone right than what is going right. And so you're not really thinking about thanking him for much. Anybody there? Big and small things. I can kind of be there. This past week was a little bit difficult for me. I coached middle school football, and we lost our first game. So East Jay. Um, we beat them last year, so it's a little disappointing. <laughs> kind of had it. Anybody from East Jay here? <laughs> like, what do you feed those guys down there? They're huge. I had a guy come up to me in between services, and he said, I know why you lost. And then he did this, he kind of pulled this around, he did like a West Side, he's like, because West Side joined, or West J joined East J, and they were combined. Apparently he's, apparently he's from West J, I don't know. It's the little things, right? It's just the little things. Um, some of you have much bigger things than that, and you're more plugged into those than, than maybe the good. But if you have anything good in your life, anybody got anything good in your life, it comes from one place. And he is to be thanked. And sometimes these old songs, we go through them and we find these and we realize, oh yeah, I had forgotten for just a moment, but this is what he has done for me and I need to say thanks for that. So hopefully the one we do today will lead you in that direction. The hymn that I picked today was written by a guy who's credited with writing 8,000 hymns. I didn't even know there, there were that many. And I think these are just hymns or tunes that go along with hymns, but his name is Charles Gabriel. He was born in Iowa in 1856. It was right before the Civil War. His dad was a music teacher, and so there was an organ in the house or something, and he became interested. But music for him became... It, it, easily exceeded way past interest. He became very proficient at it. He was actually reading music and writing music and actually started his own school. So, I mean, it just took off for him, right? Anybody who writes 8,000 songs that we're still singing today, like 150 years later, is clearly called by God or gifted by God to do so, and he was. So he was a bit of a prodigy. The context for him was this. It was a small town in Iowa, and his family was very connected to the Presbyterian Church. So in the late 1800s, there were three primary denominations that, across, that were across the United States, and that were the Presbyterians, 
and the Baptists and the Methodists. And so in all of those, right, the, the context would have been small. You would have known the pastor and the pastor would have known you. There was a story that his pastor saw him in church one, or saw him in town one day and said, hey, the sermon for this coming Sunday is on this particular subject and I would like to highlight this attribute of God and this attribute of God. And I was wondering if you could just write a song that would include those attributes and then we could sing it at the end. And he did it. Right? So, gifted kid. His neighbor was Fanny Woodhouse and he thought Fanny Woodhouse was pretty awesome. And so life goes on. And if you were to fill in the next 10 years of Charles' life, I mean, think Hallmark movie, how would you have his life to go? He marries Fanny Woodhouse. They settle down and buy a house in town. They start a family and have a daughter. And he continues to write songs for the church and is kind of the worship leader, right? And that's how it goes for him. But how many of you know that it's, it's easy to make something look good from the outside, from all appearances it looks okay, but inside it's falling apart? Well, there's a few. And apparently that's the way it was going on. There's no details written about it, but before he's 30 years old, Charles is going through a divorce. And that is always painful. It's if it's in the 1880s or if it's 2015. And I think it has to do with the nature of the marriage relationship. We talked about it some Sundays ago. The verse or the, the phrase that we lifted out of God's word that had to do with the marriage relationship was that the two have become one flesh. And the, the question was, how do you separate something when two have become one? When you can't really tell where one stops and the other begins, how does that then get separated back out? And the only way that gets separated back out is if something tears. It's not going to be easy and certainly going to be painful, and it, it had to have been. Some of you know that full well. He knew that, and sometimes the church is not helpful. I mean, the church then had, had rules about that sort of thing, and they had particular positions on sin, and they had books of discipline, and they would carry it out. And all of it, I fully believe, was meant for good, but it still doesn't make it any easier, and it was very painful. In 1880, or in the late 1800s, the church would only grant you a divorce for a few things. One was for marital unfaithfulness. The other one started to be abandonment because it was the Civil War. Sometimes the soldier didn't die. He just didn't come home. But mostly it was adultery, and for Charles and Fanny, they were granted the divorce. So now that small context becomes very painful because he's visible, he's in the community, people know who he is, he writes songs for the church to be sung to the Lord. I mean, he has a certain persona about him. And that was always what was celebrated and talked about before. This is who he was. But now, the conversation isn't so much about that. It's, I wonder what he did. I wonder who did what. I wonder what she did, right? People very easily look at us through the lens of what we did wrong. Anybody say amen to that? 
Like you can do, you can do whatever you want. You can work and do and be and have all this stuff and then you mess up and then you become that failure. That's who you become. And so the way it's written is that he left Iowa. He, he went on the road then. But when he gets away from that, um, he doesn't stop writing. And I found it interesting to look into, so what did he write in that period of time? What sort of songs was he writing? And there was there many to choose from. I mean, this guy, he wrote, Brighten the Corner Where You Are. You know that song? Brighten the corner. Of Mary. Like I used to sing it as a kid. So we're just going to keep jumping back to those moments, and then we'll jump here. I'm pretty sure he's not writing Brighten the Corner Where You Are that now. He wrote... His eye is on the sparrow. I've heard of that one. And will the circle be unbroken? Like by and by, Lord, by. All these. But these, as best you can tell, were more like the Lord knows why. And he lifted me because I needed lifting. And then this one, I stand amazed. So I want you to... with that context in mind, I want you to look at the first. This is, these are words that he wrote. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean. And to me, like, I've sung that lots of times. I'm like, that's what was going on? So a song that we sing 150 years later that can still inspire, and we'll sing it today, and it does inspire. There's something about, they'll go to a spot in the song where they'll cut it all out, and it'll just be the voices, and it'll just be your voices singing that, and it's, it's pretty incredible. But that song was written, and the guy that's writing it at the moment, he's just coming face to face with who he really is as a person, and guess what? It's not good. And that kind of knowledge, that just invites me into the song. Because I can relate to that. I can absolutely say, I can relate to that. And he's there. He's not just some proficient songwriter that's good with melodies and rhymes. Like, Nazarene and unclean. Hey, that rhyme, let's, we're going to sing it that way. Like, this is his life. It's not Nazarene and unclean. It's like, I have messed up. I have guilt. I have shame. They say he moved to San Francisco for a season away from Iowa. He later remarried there when the church changed its rules on remarriage, ironically enough. And so he is without his wife and he is without his daughter, but he's not without the gospel. Okay, so he's completely zeroed in on who he is as a person. And guess what? It's not good. But he's not lost sight of God's response to that. So he has both. And if I were to say anything today, this is what I want to, I want you to leave here with these two things. A good grip on who you are. But in Christ, a good grip on what is God's response to you, even though you are this. Some of you won't grab either one. Some of you already have both. But listen to it. He has those. And with all that going around, this is what he writes. Here's the first two. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean. He took my sin and my sorrow and he made them his very own. 
he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died, suffered and died alone. How marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall I. It just, when he gets these two, the only thing he can say is, how marvelous is that? How wonderful is that? Can't think of anything better. So, I do want you to consider it today, and we'll kind of go, who are you? Who are you really? Where have you been? What have you done? But not just to sit in that. It's not okay just to sit in that. You also, if God has made himself known to you in your life, to have a good grip on what is God's response to that. There's a principle that runs all the way through the word. And you can see it in the lives of the people that might be familiar like David and, and Paul and Peter. Lots of different places. But the principle is this. If you know that you have a lot to be forgiven for, you'll love God a lot. If you're less aware of your sin and maybe more hardened to it, like, eh, I'm not so bad, then you'll love him a little. Christ actually says those very words in Luke chapter 7. The principle is this, much forgiveness, much love. He says it this way in Luke 7. The story itself gives enough context, so I'll just read it. But um, this is Jesus interacting with people. 736 from the book of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, he being Jesus. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city. Everybody clear? Woman of the city? All right. She's got baggage. She's got, it's been, it's not been easy. She's got sin in her life. Who was a sinner? When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them off with her hair. It's a little odd for me to even read that because it seems so bizarre, but she, listen, she knew who she was, and she had some idea on who he was, and it just, it's all she could do. She was sorry she wanted to serve in some way. She, was just, she wanted him to know, like, if you can really do this, I need your forgiveness. So she kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he's like, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know who this is and where those hands have been and who she is. And like, he would never even let her touch him, not even his feet. I guess his name was Simon. A lot of Simons in the Bible. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, well, go ahead and say it. So a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which one do you think loved him more? And Simon, being the sharp dude that he is, said, probably the one that was forgiven the 500. And said, you have judged correctly. Now, do you see that woman? Her sins are many, but I walked in here. You didn't even wash my feet. You didn't even give me water to wash my feet. She has not stopped crying and wetting my feet with her tears since we got here. 
You didn't give me any oil to anoint my head. I guess that's what they did. It was maybe expected. I don't know. But she brought some. And you didn't do this. And you didn't do this. And you didn't do this. And you see that? And then he says it. The one who knows they have a lot that they need forgiven for, they will love me a lot. And she does. And her sins are forgiven. The one who thinks that he has just a little bit will love me a little. And Simon, that is you. It's the principle. So it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be zeroed in to who you are. I do want you to think about that today. We're here really to do two things today. I want you to think about who are you really? Character is who you are when no one's watching. That's kind of who you are. Who are you? And if God has revealed himself to you in this way, like, what is God's response? And if you can hold them both, your view of Christ will be high. I mean, that principle is in play. Think about these things. Who are you and sort of what have you done? Has anybody come to mind that you can think of that is just, they have a high view of Christ in your life and they don't really care, they're not, they're not ashamed by it. Like they are just, they just love them and you know it. Can you think of anyone? How awesome would that be if that was you or me? I mean, I can, I can think of a few. The one where this principle is most clear in my mind is a guy that I've talked to you about oftentimes, but our paths crossed when I was in my 30s, and he was just a pastor that I had um, in Tennessee. And the reason I bring him up again today is that this past week marked the 34th anniversary of his release from prison. His name's Pastor Mari Davis. And when I met him, his story goes in 1975, he committed murder in Texas. And, and it, was a, it was bad. It wasn't like, well, I was kind of there and it was sort of an accident. It wasn't the case at all. He was on drugs. And, and he looked at a house that this lady was showing him and he was going to rent it. He said he wanted to rent it, but he would say later he was casing it so he could rob it afterwards. And he's walking through the house and some painter had left some paint behind and he kicked it over and he got some paint on his boot and it enraged him. And, I, and he would say that, you know, the drugs probably played into that. He was so mad about paint on his boot, he killed her. And he was a young man and she was a middle-aged woman. He just ended her life. And most description of what he was like the day after, he was quickly arrested. Was he, he just like, I don't really know what happened. I don't know. But there was, it wasn't like remorse about it. He thought he was going to die in the electric chair. It was Texas. He, somehow he got 20 years. And then after eight years in prison for that crime, there was an overcrowding deal. And his number got picked. And they just came and found him one day and said, you're out. You just, you've served your debt. You've paid your debt to society. You're out. He goes back to the pastor who shared the gospel with him. So in jail, like he had... God revealed himself to him and said, this is what I have for you to do. And so God came to him. God saved him in jail. He goes to the pastor who shared the gospel with them, and he just starts cleaning the church. 
just whatever he could do, he had nothing else to do, ends up marrying the pastor's daughter. I bet the pastor didn't see that one coming. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you can clean the church. But it just worked out that way. Why? Did he deserve any of it? He's a terrible person. Did a terrible thing and didn't deserve any of it. So he just simply grabs this gal and they start going around. They just tell the story. And then there's kind of a following that builds. And he, the, it's a powerful message of redemption. And like my life was in the pit and God plucked me out. And it resonated. So he went around, eventually planted this church. And by the time we got there, the church was big. And, but listen, when I was there, if you look it up, people hate him. People hate him. There is more written about him that's awful than good. You, it is, it's mostly the family of the woman that he murdered. They're like, great, fantastic. Glad you're a pastor. You have a nice suit. My mom's dead. I mean, they just rail on him. But listen, he's not separated himself from that. He knows that. He's, he hung on to that. But that's not all he had to hang on to. If all he had to hang on to was all the negative blogging and all the, man, he just gets driven down, 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 down. But he has it, keeps him low. But he also knows, you got to put with that, he also knows, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love to us in this, that he was willing to take all of it and attach it to his son. Let him pay for it so you could go free. So he held both. But you got to hold both. And if you don't hold both, your view of Christ just shrinks. And he did. And because he held both, he was one of the most, I said at the time, he was the most committed person to Christ I'd ever seen. And there's something about being with a person like that. They're so committed, it kind of, it, it bolsters your faith. Kind of pulls you along. That was the case. It was Both. Now, can you hold both? I mean, where are you on that? Can you own your own sinfulness? And has Christ revealed, has he, do you know what God's response is to that? Sometimes if we hold our own sinfulness and we get it, the thing we want to do is is hide. We want to run away. If we do own it, we sure don't want to go to God with it, do we? There's something about it that makes you want to hide it. But God never comes out. He never runs you down. Do you know that God never gets you to turn around by condemning you? I saw this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. I've shared this story a few times, but we were at the lake one time, and those kids were swimming out in the lake. They, they didn't know we, my wife and I were on that pier. And they were swimming, and they were on that guy's trampoline, and they were jumping on it. They were cussing and swearing, and they broke it. And they were probably drinking, and they were bad kids. And we, we saw the whole thing. Remember this? And then we had that light. And, it's, and, and they were saying their names like, hey, Danny, you broke it. So I'm like, hey, Danny. You know, and like we flipped on that big light. Remember that? And what do they all do? They all just went underwater. Like, that's what it would be 
God never is going to run you down. He's never condemns. That's never going to turn anybody around. The response, what is God's response to all that you've done? I'll still, I can still accept you. I can accept you because, not because I'm nice, because I can take all that you've done and I'm willing to attach it to my son and let him pay for it so you can go free. That's just not better news. Some of the highest language about God in all of the Bible comes from men who understood the depth of their sin. So you can just pick them out. We'll just look at David. So you're familiar with David maybe in general. David is famous for killing the giant, also famous for killing the husband of the wife he stole. When he gets busted, do you know what he writes? I want you to read it. When he gets busted, he writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51, if you read it, he just is like, what have I done? I'm so sorry. Please. He actually says, hide your face from God. I made the list. Have mercy on me. Blot it out, God. Please blot it out so you don't even see it. I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm so embarrassed of what I've done. I don't even want you to see it. I want you to wash me. I want you to cleanse me. Actually, he says this, create in me a new heart because I don't like what I did and I don't know why I did it and I don't want to do it, but if you would create a new heart in me, renew a right spirit in me, I want to serve you. Hide your face from my sin. God's response to that, to that attitude, it says, God, the sacrifices to God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And if we can be broken about our own sin, right, that acceptance is there. And God says to him after that, this one phrase, it's it's actually in the story where he gets busted, and it says, I will put your sin away. I'll put it away, and you will not die. Now, someone will die. The wages of sin is death. Who's going to die ultimately for David's sin? Can you see how God is reconciling the whole world to himself, Old Testament and new, all of it through one thing. I will not hold your sin against you. You won't die. I'm going to take it over here and I'm going to attach all the guilt to what you did to my son and he will die, but you won't. Do you know what David writes in response to that? Psalm 103. And I want you to see it. When you understand what you've done and then God's response in Christ, like, I'm not going to come after you, this comes out. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Whose life was in the pit? David's was in the pit. There's no way he can get out of it, and God just plucked him right out of it who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Do you know where righteousness comes from? There isn't anything you can do that makes you right. God actually worked righteousness through the life of Christ, the life you could never live, and then he reserves that over here for you and says, all right, You couldn't do it, and when you finally realize you can't do it, I'm going to give you all the righteousness that I ever required because my son lived it for you. Righteousness is a gift to be received, not something to do to earn it. He works righteousness. 
He made his ways known. God didn't have to make his ways known. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. I want you to look at that last line, right? It's verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. All right. Who are you and what have you done? Who's blown it as a husband? You just are not what you ever promised to be. Who's lied? Who's a cheater? What sort of wife have you been? Have you blown it as a mom, as a dad, as an employee, as a Christian? You've been claiming Christ, but you do whatever you want, and you know exactly what it is that you need You walked in here in it, and you know exactly what you need to turn around and walk away from, and you won't do it. What is God's response to you? No, 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 go back. I will not deal with you according to that. I will not punish you according to those things. How can he even say that? Because he's going to take it and attach it to his son. It's not because he's nice. That's what I want. I've said it a hundred times. God doesn't say that to us because he's just nice and he's just going to give you a pass. He can say that because he's holy and just. He's going to cause his son to pay for it, but he's going to let you free. He's going to let you off. He's going to let you out of all that you are. And he can say that because of what he's done. Which is really, the, that's the second stanza of the song. The second stanza of the song is, it says, right, Oh, how marvelous. How could he love a wretch like me? He took my sin and my sorrow and made it his very own. He bore the burden of Calvary and suffered and died alone and took it away. So those two pieces. I just want you to be able to hang on to both today. And you only get this one because of Christ, not because God is nice. It's because of what Christ has done. But this one right here is first. You have to get what you've done and then his response coming back to you. Charles Gabriel's writing this song. He's a mess. But he's able to say, oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song will ever be, because he gets it. So, that's kind of what we're here to do today, is to grab those two. The last stanza then goes like this. Then with the ransom and glory. Can we jump to that one? When with the ransom and glory, his face I at last shall see, t'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. So it kind of switches to then what's to come. And when I sing this part of it, because we've done this one a lot, 
Um, I always think about the ransomed in glory, like the people that are already there. So maybe if, if you've kind of been in here and we've done this together, maybe you think about them too. There's always a bunch of people that I think about. Um, I think about this guy. His name is Scott Carr. Um, Scott is a guy that, he was actually a good friend of my father's. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily that we were friends. Like, we were friends in that way, but he was friends with my father first, and I only knew him through that friendship. But this guy, he knew he was a sinner. Man, he knew it. But because he knew it, he also knew how God would respond to him. And like, he was, he could get loud when it came to Jesus. Like, he was unashamed about Jesus. He's probably the loudest person I know about Jesus. He just wasn't worried about it. And I think it's because he understood, like, this is who I was, but everything I have is because of Christ. So I think about him up there, like, I'm sure he's loud. Like, I don't know why my mind always goes to him. But he was excitable here. He's probably excitable there. I think about my grandpa, Ringer, who was much more stoic. I mean, they probably wouldn't be sitting at the same table there. My grandpa would be like, I know it's heaven, but let's keep it down, you know. <laughs> I mean, he was just very, but he was, he, his life, he wanted his life to honor God. He just wanted his life to honor God, and it did. He used to come towards the end. He would sneak in. He would never tell me when he was coming, but he would sit right over here, and he wore his kind of this, I don't know what you call those hats, are kind of smashed down in the front, and and he would rest his hands on his cane in front, and he would just sit there through the service. And maybe if we would have been in a, like a series on hymns, he would have stayed for the music, but, you know, he just didn't. He just came for the message. And I miss him. So I think, I think about him. He's as ransomed as anybody else. I mean, even though he's sort of a holy guy, he's as ransomed as anybody else. I think about my other grandpa who would definitely be at Scott's table because he was louder. But the point, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but the point for the writer was all the ransomed and glory will be there, but for him it was, and then finally at last I get to see Christ. We put that last, and the... His face I at last shall see. And to him, that was the big deal. And I think he's right to say that. As a matter of fact, I know he's right to say that. All that other stuff is going to be there, but the one who made it all possible for us, that's the one that, that our mind is supposed to go to. His resurrected body, his new resurrected body, when he came back, it still had the scars from the cross. And we know that because it's written that way. There was someone who doubted whether the whole thing was real. His name was Thomas. And then he was able to show Thomas, no, this is the real deal. And then he made his ascension. And the assumption could be that that resurrected body is still now in heaven as it was. And so maybe when we get there, imagine that, that you get to see the one who paid the price. And then you also get to see, just think about that what it actually cost him. And all that could be ours. It will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me.
so you've been set up to worship. And I like the way that this writer set us up to worship. And I just want you to follow that pattern. So as the band comes out, they're going to lead us in this song. But here's the pattern. The pattern is you first get a good grip on who you are. But that's not the only thing. Understand what you've done, but you've got to hold that together with what is God's response in Christ. And if you know him and you understand and he's made himself known to you, then you know that no matter what you've done, that his response is, I still accept you because I'm willing, I was willing to let my son pay for it. And you get those two then and it leads us to, all right, well, this is what is to come. So as you kind of ready yourself to worship, I don't think it would be a bad idea to go through that sort of progression. I think the song itself leads you through that progression. You're going to start to sing it like, I can't believe you've loved somebody like me. And now I know the reason why it is the Christ. And I can't wait what's to come. So let's stand together, go through this progression.